Yahweh, we just praise you so much for the God that you are. We praise you that you are an absolutely unique being that is unlike anything in all of creation. That you are a God that is absolutely sovereign and loving at the same time. That you're a God that pursues us no matter what. And you're a God that brings us to you by grace and by faith and not by works. And I pray that you, we would have the eyes to see and the ears to see that come out in your scriptures as we go through it. I thank you for the commitment and the sacrifice that everybody here has made um, to dwell and get into your word. And I pray that they would just walk away with the Spirit speaking to them and rewarded by that. Please give me the words and the insight and the understanding to communicate you as best as I humanly can possibly do and um, protect me from error or anything else or miscommunication. Um, I just pray that we'd be able to set everything aside tonight, um, stress and worries and conflicts and sufferings and trials, um, so we can dive into your words so that we can better understand how to face those trials and stresses and angst um, at the end of this study. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We are in Acts, and as always, we will start with introduction. Acts is the sequel to Luke. This is pretty much undisputable by most scholars. Um, there's a lot of things that scholars dispute, um, but Acts being authored by Luke and Luke, the Gospel of Luke being offered, offer, authored by Luke and Acts being the sequel is pretty much widely accepted as the common authorship. This is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke and it literally picks right up off like, like a bee continued, like watching Back to the Future. And it picks up right from that last scene. Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives. He is speaking to his disciples. He gives them the final commission to go out and be witnesses at the end of Luke. And then Luke ends. And then Acts begins with Jesus standing on the Mount of Olives. He's already given the Great Commission. Um, but now he tells them to wait and wait for the Holy Spirit. He ascends and we launch into Acts. That's kind of where we're going here. The difference is, though... Where Luke in the Gospel Luke is emphasizing Jesus as the Messiah and specifically the perfect and most wisest human that has ever lived. Uh, remember with Matthew, he emphasized kingship because that's what the Jews were looking for, they, that he was their audience. Luke was emphasizing the perfect human, the wisest teacher, because that's what the Greeks value more than anything, and that's who his audience was. And for those who wonder, Mark is emphasizing Jesus as the suffering servant, and John is emphasizing his divinity. This is what Luke is emphasizing, is that this is the perfect wisest teacher who has come um, to, to flip everything upside down. Our, our social status, our society, our understanding of merit and demerit, all that kind of stuff, to flip society on its head and present the way that God intended it and is going to restore this world into a system of community. So Luke now comes along, and he's emphasizing the growth of this new society, the new covenant people, the new covenant people that is about a group of people who are unified and um, in Christ and unified with each other, regardless of ethnicity, sex, gender, social status, um, intelligence, works, any of that kind of stuff, all coming together and growing into the body of Christ, but most specifically in First Testament language, 
growing as the garden, expanding the garden, and, and overtaking the entire earth. Um, the garden was this little place on the planet, and God called Adam and Eve to expand it and cover all of creation. And in my opinion, I think they were meant to expand beyond this planet and into the stars. Um, and so that was our goal. But they kind of messed that up when they said, no, we're going to follow our laws and our rules and our way and do what we think is right. And so God begins to recreate the Garden of Eden with the Israel as the land, and that didn't go so well. And then he brings the perfect Israel, the perfect Adam, Jesus, um, to do it right, um, to plant the seed. And now with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we're able to do that. And so now this community begins to grow, and the idea is we are to expand and go out into the world and expand the garden until eventually Christ comes and completes the project. And so remember, Christ doesn't really need us, but as a God who desires relationships more than anything, he chooses to have us join him and to use us in doing that. And so this is what Luke is emphasizing is the growth of this distinctly unique covenant people of God that the world has never, ever encountered or seen ever and still should be wowed and amazed by the uniqueness of this community and its love and its unity and its diehard commitment to Christ and his resurrection. And so this is what's being emphasized in this sequel to the gospel. The events of Acts take place between 33 AD and 62 AD. Paul is going to be arrested. He's going to be in house arrest in Rome between 60 and 62 AD. He will be released from his imprisonment in 62 AD is what most scholars believe, but we'll talk about that in chapter 28. He will later be recaptured probably a year later or so and then be killed by the Roman government. So somewhere around 62 AD that most scholars believe that Luke is writing all these events down. I'm going to go through this document and I will tell you what date it is, what year it is as we hit different sections, but I know that those will be very detailed sporadically throughout the lesson and some people don't do well with that. Like, wait a minute, what date were we on two weeks ago? I on my website under the Acts, there's a link to um, Crossway Publications. They're the ones responsible for the ES ESV Bible and they have a really good one-page chronology of all the events and all the dates of Acts and that kind of stuff if you want to see it and the big picture. Setting. The First Testament ends with Israel's continual failure. When Paul in Romans says, for all have sinned and fallen the short of, fallen short of the glory of God, he is writing that based on reading 39 books of the First Testament. He Not only his own personal experience, as you're going to see in the book of Acts, but he's read it. And it doesn't take long to be reading just Genesis 3 through 11 before you realize humanity sucks. They have failed continually over and over again. When we get to the end of Kings, which is the last historical book before the exile, it ends by saying, and the Israelites have become worse than the Canaanites. You want to know what the Canaanites are like? Go to my website and read or listen to that one. Um, and pray before and take a shower afterwards. And that's horrifying that the people of God have become worse than the Canaanites. And because of that, they go into exile. And they go into exile because of their idolatry, a lack of love for God with all their heart, with all their life, and with all their muchness. And they go into exile because of a lack of justice, um, not loving their neighbor as themselves, um, as themselves. And so they go into exile. And they go into exile, and the Assyrians 
the Babylonians and the Greeks just pommel them. And over 80% of them die and being conquests and exile um, and that kind of stuff. And when they come back out of exile, they hold on to the prophets. And the prophets said, a day is coming when I will send a king. And this king will bring an abundance of wine, um, abundance of life and joy, which that's what wine is symbolic for. This is Genesis 49. And then he will crush the skulls of your enemies, Numbers 24. These are the two first prophecies of Jesus. And, and they, they hold on to this. And he will bring a kingdom. The cosmic mountain of God will come back to earth. And all nations will flood in of every ethnicity, every gender, every social status, every skill and every intelligence and every physical capability. And they will flood to the mountain and he will bring his garden and it will cover the entire earth. And when you're being stepped on by the boot of Rome, that's something you hold on to. So when they come back out of exile, they're like, is this the day? Like we're back out of exile. We're back in the land and the temple is being rebuilt, which is really pathetic. But the thing is that God also promised that the Shekinah glory of God would return, that pillar of fire and smoke on the tabernacle. And it didn't. And they just had this empty temple. And they begin to go to Zechariah. And they said, is this the day? Like, why hasn't it come? And Zechariah says, when you are faithful, then it exile is over with. And then 100 years go by. And another 100 years. Another 100 years. And another empire. And another empire. And the most brutal of them all, the Romans. And they were desperate. And so when Jesus showed up, this is everything that they were clinging to. None of us have ever lived with generational, absolute dominance and oppression of a wicked, corrupt government that just massacres at their own will to know what it's like to really look for that. Um, maybe a few of us if we've migrated here from another country, but not in America. They were looking forward to this. Christ came. And this is what the disciples are going to start with in the book of Acts. Is this now the day? that the kingdom of God is going to come and the Shekinah glory of God is going to come back and the garden is going to cover the entire earth because you're here now, the Messiah. Okay, and that's how the book is going to begin. And so they're looking forward to this. Unfortunately, they wanted Jesus to go all medieval on Rome and crush them and destroy them. But that was not his first coming agenda. It was to go to the cross because without conquering sin, it doesn't matter whether you conquer the empires and the corruption and the, and the world. They'll just rise back up again. We see that. Like wicked governments, it's like whack-a-mole. Okay? And so he knew he had to do that. And because they did not get the Messiah they wanted, they turned on him and they killed him. And then he defeated the grave and resurrected. And this is the point that Paul and Peter and Philip are going to make. And Stephen, like, this is your Messiah because he defeated the grave. So what is there that he cannot defeat? And the answer is nothing. This is the implication here. Jesus fulfills all the prophets of the awaited Messiah through his death and resurrection. And he made this possible. So his death and resurrection makes atonement for our sins possible so we can come into the presence of God. And that's what we see in Luke at the end. And Acts is going to begin with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which the death and resurrection makes possible. And so the indwelling of the Holy Spirit makes us the gives us the, the desire and the ability to actually become the Adam and Eve God intended them to be, to become the, 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 the Israel that God intended us to be. This is the point of Acts. 
is that it's going to um, focus on the Holy Spirit. Luke was mostly about Christ, where Acts is mostly about the Holy Spirit. The purpose. The primary purpose of the book of Acts is to show that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people, regardless of social status, ethnicity, and gender. And the same way that Christ said that the gospel is for all, Acts is really going to show it. Jesus communicated and witnessed and lived among a very limited amount of people. The Jews of Israel during this time period was about the size of New Jersey with the population of New Jersey. That's a small sliver considering the world. Acts is going to continue that beyond Israel and truly show you that it's for all ethnicities and all genders and all social statuses. Because now we're really truly going beyond this small ethnic group of the Jews. It is always to the Jews first and to the Gentiles second. And we'll talk about what that means and what it doesn't mean later. But this is the purpose. Luke wants to continue to show you this, that we are not Democrats. We are not Republicans. We are not Americans. We are not women. We are not men. We are not whatever. We are the body of Christ. And every other hobby, every other allegiance, every other identity that you have dies and pales in comparison to that. And yes, you enter into those groups because they need Christ, and we love them because Christ is in us. We enter in those groups because we can love them and because we can enjoy them. We can identify with them. We can prepare our identity, our identity. We live and breathe, and everything else pales in comparison to we are the body of Christ. We are the new covenant people. And it doesn't matter what that Democrat says to you. It doesn't matter what that Republican says to you. It doesn't matter what view they have. It means nothing in the long run. In the end, you still hug and embrace and pray and suffer and cry and encourage and hold each other accountable because you are Christians. And this is the point that Luke is making. And this is a message we so desperately need because right now, especially in the Western world, our governments have made it a mission to divide us and break unity and to pit us against each other and cancel each other in a way that I have never seen like in the last three years. We, this is the time for us to be the body of Christ. This is the time to think differently and act differently than the world does and not learn and act and emulate the world. And this is the point that Luke is pushing forward as he makes his purpose. So the book of Luke focuses on the spread of the gospel to the culturally insignificant, the lost. Now remember, not to the insignificant, to the culturally insignificant, the ones that the world view as insignificant. And every group has a different group of people that they see as insignificant. Okay, you might think, well, yeah, it's easy to think that the poor are insignificant, but there's a lot of poor who think that the rich are insignificant and they should be destroyed too. Everybody is considered culturally insignificant in our culture, depending on who you are. However, in the Roman Empire, if you were poor, you were definitely culturally insignificant. There was no other, like, flip there. As seen in Luke chapter 4, where we see Jesus. Whereas the book of Acts focuses on the universal geographical spread of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. Christ was more interested in truly emphasizing all levels of the social scale and all levels of society where Luke is now saying, you should have gotten that now 
by reading Luke. Now I'm going to take that and push it geographically. I'm going to push it geographically. Where Luke is more organized structurally with uh, ideology, Lax is more structured with a geography, an expansion across the planet. That there is no people group that should be left out. This is the point, as we see in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. Acts proclaims that Jesus is the one Savior for all peoples, and that this is why he must be proclaimed to all peoples. To make this point, Luke chronicles a successful growth of the church from Jerusalem to Rome and away from a purely Jewish religion to being a world religion for all nations. Luke is not trying to prove that something happened, but to emphasize what these things signify. Now, this is important. Luke is not just interested in giving you a historical account about how the gospel spread or what happened. He is more interested in explaining to you what is the significance of this spread. What's the significance of what's happening? What's the significance of how they did it, how people responded for good or bad or ugly? That's what he's interested in. We are not to reduce this merely to an historical account, but rather to ask what points is Luke making? What is he trying to say the significance of this thing? That's the heart of everything in the Bible. It doesn't matter how much you know about the stories. It only matters if you know the significance of why this is included and that wasn't and why the author is connecting these dots and all that kind of stuff. And so this is what he's emphasizing, that this is a world religion. And so, yes, God's ultimate goal was that he chose Israel in Genesis chapter 12. And he said, he came to Abram, who was worshiping pagan gods, He had no idea who Yahweh was. Joshua chapter 24 tells us that he was worshiping pagan gods in Ur, the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, and he did not know who God was or anything that kind of stuff. He's 75 years old. The gods have abandoned him because he has no kids. And God comes to him and says, speaks in a way that no God has ever spoken. No God ever speaks to you. Um, You're not worthy of being given the time of the day unless they're wanting to use you. And he speaks to him and he makes him four promises. And these are the four most important promises throughout the entire Bible because they are the bedrock that the cross is planted into. And he says, I will make you, I will give you a land. Now remember, that's the garden. Okay, you can only have life if you're in the land. The sky doesn't give you life. The, the sea doesn't give you life. The soil does. Humans were pulled out of the soil to rule over the soil, to till the soil and make life so the soil would give them life. And it is in the soil that humans encounter God and have a relationship with him. And so God says, I'm going to give you a land. And for a land, that is everything. That's their grocery store. That's their 401k. That's their job. That's their retirement. That's everything. But what God is specifically saying, what Abraham wouldn't know, is that I'm going to dwell with you. We're going to have a relationship. And when I do that, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to multiply you. Be fruitful and multiply, the garden said. Well, the garden actually didn't say that. God did in the garden. Okay? Be fruitful and multiply. And then I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to personally protect you. That's the abundance and the fruit of the garden. And then he says, the fourth promise, so that you may be a blessing to the world. God wants to bless you because he loves you and he's a good father. But he also blesses you to bless other people. And if you're just taking the blessings and making them yours, 
then this is not why Christ died. This is not what it means to be the image. We're to be open-handed. And we see this. Abram becomes open-handed with Lot. Now, Abram was a scumbag, and he messed up a lot of ways. But he was a scumbag who believed in God and pursued him, and God credited to him righteousness. And that's the gospel story for all of sin and falling short of the glory of God. And so he became, he became a blessing to the neighbors around him as they wanted to make treaties with him because they had never seen anybody like this. And they had never seen a God like this. And they were to be a blessing. And even though Israel got it wrong a lot, there were times that they got it right. And people like Ittite the Gittite. How would you like that for a name? And Uriah the, the Hittite. And Arana the Jebusite. And Rahab and Tamar. They came. And this is what Israel was meant to do. And when they left Egypt, what a lot of people don't realize is thousands of Egyptians left Egypt and joined Israel and became a part of the nation. And so this was Israel's original goal and original purpose. But Israel became so corrupt in themselves, it was hard for them to be the light. And then they got, became entitled. And they said, we're special because God chose us and gave us the law and not you Gentiles go to hell. They, they forgot their purpose. And what Luke is saying is, and what Paul's saying, yes to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles, but not because the Jews are the favorites of God, not because, well, we only go to the Gentiles. It's like, hey, you want to go on a date? And it's like, well, I asked everybody else, and they said no, so now I'm coming to you. It's not that. It's to the Jews first because they were the ones that God chose to bless so that they could become his ambassadors and his image to everybody else. And so this is what he's saying. This is my original purpose. And I want to give you the privilege and the ability and the pleasure of doing that. Because if you accept and embrace it, then you'll go to the Gentiles. And you'll be what you were supposed to be but never were because you now have the Holy Spirit. And this will give you the desire and the ability in a way that you never had. But if you reject it, well, remember, I want you and I want to use you and join you, but I don't need you. And I'll go to the Gentiles. So it's not a first choice, second choice. It's not a you're more favorite than the other. It's not, it's, this is the, this is the whole purpose from the very beginning, was to go to the ends of the earth. And this is what the prophets said that Israel was supposed to do. And so it's more of, if you as a nation don't do it, then we as the minority Jews who have become Messianic, we will do it. Because whether few or great, God can do anything. And this is the words of Joshua. Hey, no, sorry, Jonathan, the son of Saul. He's like, we're completely outnumbered by the Philistines. But whether few or many, all things are possible with God. And that's really what the Jews and the Gentiles mean. You're the chosen people to be the image and the light to the world to bring all the Gentiles in. But if you don't do it, then God can even take the very few of us that have accepted that call and do it. And so remember, Samuel can bring revival to the time period of the judges, which is, you think America's bad. You haven't seen anything, according to the judges. Then imagine what he can do with a whole group of us bringing revival. And so this is the purpose. This is the emphasis of the gospel of, or sorry, I keep saying gospel. Once we move away from gospel, look, I'll get better. Questions? Following? Taking it all in?